Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome in, everybody, to another Sports Daily, a Thursday edition. Lots of fun to come today as we get into an NFL, well, really, it's like a five-day stretch. you got games Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, we'll get into the betting side of things with our pal Chelsea Messenger, who will join us in just a little bit. To go through those, we'll have our buddy Tim Fitzgerald, our K-State insider, joining us top of next hour. Uh, see if he can... Stern of their hornet's nest like he did last week, apparently. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later as K-State gets ready to play Wichita State tonight. Pretty cool for us. You can uh, listen, by the way, to either team's broadcast, if you'd like, with our family of networks here. Of course, the home of well, K-State and Wichita State Athletics here at Odyssey. So that's pretty cool. That's coming up later. We'll get into that game as well. Uh, lots to go. We'll give away a little bit of HTO today. Um Santa Jad will continue our string of giveaways every day on the program here on Sports Daily. And you can do that, and you can get in touch with us on the IHOP hotline at 869-1240. You can watch our video stream of the show. Uh, you'll find it either on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Twitch. Tommy, good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to the Wichita State-K-State game tonight. It's kind of like Christmas comes early because we've got this great matchup. I've been looking forward to it primarily because of the longtime friendship between Paul Mills and Jerome Tang. But, of course, I think that from a competitive standpoint, it's going to be a really close matchup tonight, I think, and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting game, if nothing else, as we're trying to learn things about both teams, certainly. I think we don't know what we'll ultimately know about either team, uh, quite frankly. We've been wondering about the line. We were banting about this yesterday in the office. Um I thought it would be around seven. Uh, some people thought it would be as high as 10. It's five and a half right now. K-State favored by just five and a half over Wichita State. So uh, that will be very, very interesting as both come in with eight and three records. Vegas sees this as a very tight matchup. Uh, I think that I do too. We'll get into the stylistic pieces of it as we make our way through the show. Excuse me. Uh, okay. Let's start, though, before we get into all of that embedding. Tommy, I think you took the bait on something last night. And you sent this to me. And we had the discussion yesterday about Aaron Rodgers and, you know, how he loves the attention. Well, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, who also loves attention, uh, put out a, a, a tweet of essentially Rodgers taking the roster spot of, is it their backup fullback? 
That's correct. Nick so that in. he could be on the team to practice. And it was, quite frankly, painted in a light very obviously and clearly that Rodgers is this big evil monster who would dare steal the roster spot of poor, what's his name? Nick Bodden. Nick Bodden, the backup fullback. I mean the audacity. What a horrible teammate. Right? That was the tone of that tweet. I think that's fair. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I I think that he definitely painted Rodgers in a negative light. I get it because I kind of view Rodgers in a negative light about this. I don't yeah. I don't have an issue with it. Okay. So there I just want to I just want to make sure that I don't misunderstand the tone of the because I haven't really seen it anywhere else, right? Like I haven't seen like this big, you know, regurgitated story across the NFL. This was pretty much a a Florio thing as far as I can tell. I, look, I don't have a problem with it. You sent it to me, and I'm like, yeah, well, it sucks for that guy, but that's kind of the NFL. Guys lose their roster spots all the time for a variety of reasons. I don't I don't think this is anything more sinister than, you know, Rodgers and the Jets would like him to do everything he can to be ready for next year. I don't think the Jets would want Rodgers to play even if he was cleared to play. But if I'm them, I would absolutely want him practicing and taking reps and doing everything he can so that they are a well-oiled machine next year. And so... For him to want to do this, it was painted there as a bad teammate. I, I feel like you kind of go into that fold where I, I I I can easily see the other side where he's trying to be a good teammate and be as good as he can be next year when he's able to go in full speed. I, I, I just don't see the sinister nature of this that I think it was painted as. Well, look, I just think that there is the room for Rodgers. I don't think that he needs to be part of the team over the last couple of weeks of the season. I think that he can get away with rehabbing and practicing and working out privately away from his teammates for the final three weeks of the season. This guy, Nick Bodden, I don't know. I've never heard of him before. He's a backup fullback, but I feel bad for him because he's losing his roster spot. He's losing a paycheck because Aaron Rodgers wants to be with his teammates and Aaron Rodgers isn't playing another snap this season. Let Rodgers work out in private and then let this guy have his roster spot for the final few weeks, and then Rodgers can rejoin the team in the offseason. You've got the OTAs, and you've got training camp, and you've got all of that. I don't think that anything is going to be lost by Rodgers not being with his teammates in the final three weeks of the season. On the flip side, I think a lot is lost for this guy, Nick Bodden, who's not getting paid now because he doesn't have a roster spot. Well, one, does he go back to the practice squad? I don't know that. Uh, So I I just, I I wonder a couple of things. Would you even know that this happened if it was Kirk Cousins that did the exact same thing? Well, I don't know. Somebody probably would have reported on that. I don't know. I think this is very much a Florio taking a swing at Rodgers. It probably is. I think this kind of stuff happens all the time in the NFL. Like every day. It probably, well, not in this scenario. Like you've got a quarterback who is done for the season. So why does he need a roster spot? And I, again, he wants to practice with his teammates. It's three weeks. It's unnecessary for him to have a roster spot over the last three weeks of the season when the Jets are already out of the playoff race. But this guy, Nick Bodden, is now not getting paid. It probably is necessary for him and his livelihood to get a game check. I, I can't, like, choose this to be my hill to die on to, to feel bad for guys who get cut in the NFL. I'm not, I'm not dying on the hill. I'm just saying, yeah, you're absolutely right that Florio is taking a shot at Rodgers. 
And, and that's very true, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. It doesn't mean that he's like his assessment of it is wrong. He may be looking for attention just like Rodgers wants attention. He may not like Aaron Rodgers. That could all very well be true, but it doesn't mean that Florio is wrong in his assessment with this. And by the way, I just want to say Florio is wrong quite a bit. Like, I, I'm not a huge Florio guy, but in this scenario, okay, like I kind of get it because how, how necessary, like you don't hear Kirk Cousins who's out for the season saying, you know what, even though I'm not going to play again, I'm going to take up a roster spot from somebody else just so I can practice with my teammates. He's shutting it down for the year and he's practicing and rehabbing probably in private. Yeah, I I just, I don't know. I I think that I would trust uh, Rodgers and probably the team that they feel like it is beneficial to get him out there. Uh, and and have him be doing this. I I think when you're looking like it's a cutthroat business, and if you're the Jets, I, and this is I don't know anything about Nick Bodden, and I always feel bad for guys in the NFL when they get cut. I wish they'd expand the rosters, but somebody's always going to get cut. But if you're trying to, if you're the Jets organization and you're trying to do everything you can to win, like this is a no brainer. If if the if the coaches or Rogers or whomever or some combination of it are like, yeah, we'd like him to be out there at practice right now. Then it's just an easy decision. It's not Rogers like sitting in his chair evilly saying, "I must have a roster spot and get this peasant out of here." Which I, I just you don't think like, so. You don't think there was any so of that. Feel- I mean, because I wouldn't be surprised if that was maybe the case to an extent. I mean, he probably did. He's not sitting in a, a you know evil chair as a villain and rubbing his hands together. What has Rogers guy, done but- to be a bad teammate as a Jet? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm not in the locker room. But you, but you well, don't... we were in the locker room, I think, in in some capacity with HBO, and people were generally impressed with uh, the kind of teammate he was and or the reaction his teammates had to him. I mean, you keep saying, like, deferring to Rodgers and the team that the benefit is there for him to practice with his teammates over the last three weeks of the season. Tell me what that tangible benefit is, and tell me when they when they break camp next year, when the season starts, tell me tangibly – what will be better or worse directly contributing because Rodgers practiced with his team over the last three weeks of the season? I don't think you can. I don't think anybody can. But I'm not I don't worried think you about can make the rest t- of the season. I'm worried about the next two years. I get it. But tell me when next season rolls around, what kind of benefit you'll be able to look at at the start of next season and be able to point it back to, oh, he got three weeks with his team at the end of this season to practice because he got a roster Why? spot. Why were um, why was Paul Mills and you know why were these coaches so excited to get the exhibitions over the summer? Because he's a week? brand new coach with a bunch of brand new players around him. Rogers hasn't played a game with these guys. Rogers went through the entire off season with them last year I, and hasn't they went through played OTAs a game with and them. training camp and all of that. And we talked yesterday at length about how the best thing for the Jets to do is to rebuild different pieces of their team, especially the offensive line. This offseason. So it's probably going to be a completely different looking offensive line next season. So what I don't I understand think, what he gains by I, taking I a roster pulled, spot in the last three weeks of the regular season. I think if we pulled 100 coaches right now and asked them, do extra practice reps, ben, reps benefit a quarterback and his teammates? At the yeah, end of a season before you get I into think the next 100 year? 100 of them would say yes. Okay. Why did why did they work out in the off season in high school football? Like I'm not like reps him, are always let important. him get reps in the off season with his teammates and everything. But no, I don't think anything tangible 
or measurable is going to be gained with him being on the active roster the last three weeks of the season? Nothing. I, I just... <laughs> Especially if the I, offensive line and other parts of the team might be completely different next season. Okay, so the reporting on the ground there is that Bodden is likely landing back on the team once he clears waivers. If he doesn't clear waivers, then he's going to be on somebody's team. The strange thing is that the Jets are keeping four quarterbacks on the 53. Other than that, this is very much business as usual in the NFL. This is not unusual. Show me other teams that carry four quarterbacks on their active roster, and one of them is not intending to play for the rest of the season. Like, look at it. Is Joe Burrow on the active roster? No. Is Justin Herbert on the active roster? Joe Burrow can't practice, and neither can Justin Herbert. If he could practice, but he wasn't planning on playing for the remainder of the season, would he be on the active roster? I've never heard of that before. Maybe it's happened. I've never heard of that before. So, I I don't, I I just like, I'm telling you, I think this is a hit piece. And Rodgers, now I will say, now let me say this too. Let me say this too. Rodgers has earned the hit piece. Like he's, he's absolutely played his, uh, his role on this. Um, he is Bodden will be added to the practice squad and elevated. If he's healthy, by the way, he missed practice yesterday with a knee injury. Uh, his 2023 salary was guaranteed after week one. He's not losing a dime. That's the reporting today. Nick Bodden won't lose any money. His money's guaranteed, and he didn't practice yesterday because he's hurt. You think that's important context to this story? That's a little important, knowing that it's guaranteed yeah, money. Yeah, it kind of changes things. I don't know if it changes things a little bit. He's hurt. He's not practicing. You're lying. He's not practicing. He didn't practice yesterday. So they're, they're moving him out, who wasn't practicing because he's hurt, to move Rodgers in so he can practice. Does he have a designation that he's not playing again? Like, is he? would he have not played this weekend? Would he have not played the weekend after? We don't know that. Well, we know he's not practicing, and he's very likely back with the team today. On the practice squad, He wasn't squad, practicing right? anyway. He wasn't going to play in the game. He's the backup fullback. All I know is that if you look... And the context is important in this, but I think another piece of context that you just mentioned is that the Jets are carrying four quarterbacks. One of them is named Aaron Rodgers. He's not playing for the rest of the season. If he wasn't named Aaron Rodgers and it was the exact same scenario, he wouldn't be on the active they're roster. They're carrying four because he's not going to be an emergency quarterback right. in a game. So but they're t- choosing to keep an emergency quarterback in a game my when Zach point Wilson is, is your hurt starter? My point in all of this, Jacob, is that if his name was not Aaron Rodgers, he would not be on the active roster right now. He has dictated exactly how he wants this to go. Dictated. And he's so, a... He, it, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. If you, you don't think Kirk Cousins, if he was able to get out there and get work in, would want to get work in when he comes I back from never, his Achilles injury? Have you ever heard of a situation where a quarterback who is shut down for the remainder of the year but still can practice takes up an active roster spot? I don't care who the person is that's getting bumped. If it's Nick Bodden or somebody else, have you ever heard of a situation where this happens because I haven't. And I think it's only because he's Aaron Rodgers and only because he dictates the way that things should go. You want to know why we haven't heard about that? Because it's a procedural NFL roster move and we wouldn't hear That's about not it true. if it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. They're carrying four I have, quarterbacks. Look, I have when no idea. When do you know of the roster carrying four quarterbacks? I don't know if I don't I couldn't tell you how many quarterbacks are in on any one roster right now in the NFL. 
I, I have no idea. And you don't either. And nobody out there knows how many quarterbacks. You don't quarterbacks, think that we would hear how many if quarterbacks a team are the four Colts. quarterbacks? How many, how many quarterbacks are the are the Vikings carrying on their active roster? I think right they're now? carrying three on their active roster. You've got I mean, Nick I, Mullins. I think they are. Nick I have Mullins, no idea. Jaron Hall, and Josh Dobbs. Give me another team. I, I don't know. I don't have a clue I know, I, who might carry more guys. I, I mean, I don't look at teams' 53-man rosters outside of a very occasionally. But you don't think that we would Kansas know? The Kansas City Chiefs. You don't think that we would know of a team that would be carrying four quarterbacks when one of them is not going to play the remainder of the season? Why is he on the active roster? And I think that's a fair question to ask because this sort of thing doesn't happen. It's not a procedural thing that we just never hear about. We hear we hear about everything. We hear about who's being placed on injured reserve, who's being elevated from practice squads all around the league on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, we would absolutely hear about this if it's happened in other times. The only reason it's happening now is because it's Aaron Rodgers. That's all I'm saying. It, we are only hearing about it because it's Aaron Rodgers. You're right, because a quarterback wants to get in there and practice, and now we've very quickly, with some boots on the ground reporting from people who are there, we've been able to say, well, you know what? Nick Bodden wasn't practicing anyway, so he was wasting a practice spot too. So you have an injured player not practicing. Is you he wasting an, somebody else's opportunity? You don't think that there's another player potentially on the practice squad that could help the Jets in the game this weekend that they could put on Absolutely the active roster? Absolutely not. No. Do okay. I think there's a player on the practice squad who's going to help the Jets win a game this week? No, I don't think there is. I'm not, I didn't say win the game, but contribute. I absolutely what think that— What are we that, doing here? The Jets are trying to win games. The Jets are going to do everything that they can to be as good as they can next year. If they slash Aaron Rodgers feels like practice reps with these guys now is going to help them do that, then maybe they're they, going to then do. Maybe that. they shouldn't play the final three games of the year and just forfeit them. If I they only care about believe, next season, then just forfeit I can't them. believe that we're trying to one say Rodgers is stealing Nick Bodden's money, which is clearly not happening now, and two saying he's he's this bad guy for wanting to practice. Like, that's what this Aaron Rodgers wants to get out there and practice. He can still practice. Go practice. Not with his team, he can Go can't. practice in private and rejoin your team in the offseason and go through the OTAs and go through training camp like a normal player does. You don't have to have an active roster spot right now. And if you're just if the Jets are just going to give up on the season and just let a guy who's not going to play have an active roster spot, then I guess just forfeit the games then. Because I guarantee you there's somebody on that practice squad right now that could come in and probably get meaningful special team snaps and contribute in a positive way to the team this weekend and beyond. But if that's not I, important, I just, then I guess that's not important to the Jets. It's not as important as Aaron Rodgers being as good as he can be. Then when cancel he's ready the to games. Go. Then it's cancel not. the next three games. Yeah, that, that's not an overreaction. Like this is a non-story. It's, it's not been, a non-story. <laughs> we would never talk about this in any other circumstance that a guy is taking a practice spot. Like I, I just I I don't get it now. Uh, We'll, we'll come back. We got Ch uh, Chelsea Messenger, but we're going to have to switch gears. We can get back to this later. Love to hear people's thoughts on this. 869-1240 uh, on the IHOP hotline. Let's take a break. Uh, let's come back. We'll see if Nick Bodden's absence has any impact on the betting line this weekend with the Jets. Uh, Ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> right. We'll come back uh, with more Sports Daily after this.
going to be talking a little betting. By the way, primetime NFL games from Westwood One are available live for free right here on KFH in the Odyssey app. You can always tune into KFH tonight for Thursday Night Football. The Saints in California to take on uh, the Rams. Simply download the Odyssey app and search for KFH at kickoff. By the way, that game tonight, you'll want to search for KNSS because of uh, the Shocker K-State game, that game will get moved over to KNSS. Saints-Rams out in L.A. I'm actually looking forward to that game. We'll get into it uh, with Chelsea Messenger here in just a few minutes as Jad gets her connected and we roll through this. Uh, it is Thursday, and we actually get a Thursday night game that's good. I'm, I, I think this is a good game tonight. Uh, and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And it's not just one game Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Like, it's all NFL all weekend long. Um, and, and it should be, uh, well, you'll have plenty of opportunities for good games, including tonight. All right, let's welcome in our pal Chelsea messenger to the show on the line is the host of the daily tip and odyssey sports betting insider, Chelsea messenger insider calls are presented by bet MGM. Go check out all of the latest lines today on the bet MGM app. Also be sure to check out the daily tip podcast for more of Chelsea messenger analysis. Just search BetMGM wherever you find your podcasts. All right. Welcome in, Chelsea. Glad to have you back this week. How are you? Yeah, doing well. We have a whole host of games to bet on this weekend. So if you don't want to spend time with your family, uh, we have three NFL games and five NBA games. That's just... uh... That's a that's a big weekend. All right, let's look. Let's start it tonight. We uh, on Monday it was looking at. We were talking about the Rams, and it was like, man, the Rams are probably better than we think they are. They may be, you know, a fun like absolute long shot play now that they're healthy at making some noise in the postseason. And it was like, when do they play next? Looked ahead. It was Thursday night against the Saints. They're minus four. For me, it was an immediate. Oh, I'm all over the Rams minus four. What do you think about this game tonight? Yeah, the public's all over the Rams as well. Uh, believe we're oh, 70% of the money on the Rams because I feel like everybody's been very underwhelmed with what we've seen from the Saints. They are 7-7, seven and seven, which doesn't sound that bad until you realize they had the easiest schedule in the entire NFL going into the season. So I'm trying to look at like a good win for the Saints this year. And it's hard to find them because, yeah, their defense is posting good numbers, but they're playing the Giants. They're playing in the NFC South with their, where they get to play the Panthers. They're playing the Falcons, you know. So it's just they have had the easiest schedule in the NFL, which makes it a little tough when you look at the metrics because their defense does look good on paper. But, again, who have they played? If you remember last week, the Rams were one of my best bets of the week because exactly what you've been saying. The Rams have been under the radar, but slowly putting together one of the better offenses in the league, scoring at least 28 points in four straight games. This is a tough matchup for the passing game, at least on paper. The Saints secondary is pretty solid, at least when it comes to the numbers. I'd be with you, but I do think you have to remember that it almost feels like one of those games where it makes too much sense for the Rams to win this game. I would say if this game was in New Orleans, Maybe I would really like the Saints, but I think I'm with you on the Rams, but something feels a little off. You know, it seems like Derek Carr is one injury away from like a body cast. I mean, the guy has been just banged up all season long. Is it too risky of a play to do anything with Derek Carr? I know on the other side, 
You just talked about the Saints secondary and how it might be a tough passing night for Matthew Stafford. But is it a good idea to stay away from Derek Carr, too? He has been so inconsistent, I'm not completely sure. Like, if it comes to props, or do you mean just his general, like, how well he does? Yeah, just pro- like props, I- like player props with him. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this Rams defense has been middle of the pack. There is one prop that I am looking at that it goes completely against the matchup, but I think the opportunity will be there because this is one of the lowest numbers we have gotten on Alvin Kamara all season long. It's 29 and a half for his receiving prop. The thing is, Alvin Kamara is not your average run-of-the-mill running back. He gets targets like a receiver. He has gotten 14 targets in two games this year. He's gotten seven. He's gotten eight uh, targets in some of these games. So 29 and a half seems like a very gettable number that even though the Rams have been very good at stopping pass-catching running backs, there have been running backs who have gotten this number. Uh, You look at the Eagles. DeAndre Swift got this number. So maybe you're buying low on Alvin Kamara here. I do like that at 29 and a half. He has hit this number in nine of 11 games this year. Yeah, and, and we know that Carr will dump it off if he needs to. I, I, I'm i with you on that. Um, all right, so Saturday, Chelsea, and we can just take this like chunk by chunk since we get that this week. Bengals-Steelers, uh, pretty good-looking matchup there, pretty impactful matchup there. And then Bills-Chargers is, is a dud game, but maybe there are opportunities as we look to Saturday. What do we think of these games? Yeah, let's start with the Steelers game. The matchup-based play here is Pat Fryermuth, the starting tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just based on the the Bengals being especially generous to opposing tight ends. Uh, They're giving up the most receiving yards to opposing tight ends of any team in the NFL. I believe his number is around 25. I think this is a gettable number, but the sabotage factor is we're not sure who's playing quarterback. I think that's why the number is so low. Uh, Pat Freimer has also popped up on the injury report a little bit this week, but still the matchup is so good. You got to look at that one first. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the the quarterback situation with Pittsburgh and it, it sounds like Mason Rudolph may be the guy this weekend for the Steelers. And, and I'm a little confused about the line. I know it's in Pittsburgh, but I mean, I just feel like with what Jake Browning has done at quarterback for the Bengals over the last couple of weeks, the line should be a little bit bigger, especially if the Bengals are are facing Mason Rudolph. Am I off in that thinking? One would think, but you've also got to remember that this is an ASC North matchup. I feel like these divisional matchups are the toughest to predict of any division in all football because even when a team's at their worst, I don't think anybody is shocked when, like, even when the Steelers are at their worst, I feel like any game against the Ravens, they're live dogs, and it doesn't even matter who's playing quarterback. So I think it's just a matter of the division being a tough one and a low total game at 37. Maybe people are expecting some kind of regression from Jake Browning as well because the last time he played the Steelers, it wasn't a good game from him. I'm trying to pull up the stats in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure his first start uh, with the Bengals was against the Steelers, and it wasn't necessarily a great game from him. Yeah, uh, 19 of 26, 227 yards, a touchdown and a pick, and sacked four times. So maybe that's your uh, X factor there because last time it was a 16-10 loss by the Bengals when they played the Steelers, and Jake Browning was the quarterback. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I've kind of been in on Browning. I, this will be curious. I don't. I, I know that at least T. Higgins was out at that point, and you know, since he's had his full complement of receiver. But but it's like the Tomlin thing with the Steelers. Like you never know when they're just going to come out and be awesome or lay an egg. And you know, quarterback matters, I suppose. All right, Bills Chargers. It's a twelve point road sp- spread for the Bills. That actually doesn't seem too bad, and I don't. It's I don't even think it's recency bias with the Chargers. Of course, they were blown out the way they are. They were. It's just how how well the Bills have been playing and how depleted the Chargers are right now. Do you mess with the road line that big at all? I don't think so. I do think that the Bills are a team to keep your eye on when it comes to the futures market. Uh, trying to pull this up right now, but I know they were plus money to win the AFC East. Not that long ago. I'm not sure if these odds are still on the board. But still, doesn't it feel like the Bills are that team in the AFC that's just getting hot at the right time? Yeah, the Bills 2-1 to one to win the AFC East right now. And I know the Dolphins kind of have to, you know, pee the bed a little bit. But still, the final game of the year is a head-to-head matchup between the Bills and the Dolphins. Bills already beat the Dolphins once. It was not close. And it just feels like the Bills are trending in the right direction. I think that's the bet that I would rather make as opposed to laying that many points on the road against a Chargers team that, yes, looks terrible, but we've seen crazier things in the NFL. It would not shock me if they at least looked mediocre. So Bills 2-1 to one to win the AFC East, kind of like that bet. Quite a few Christmas Eve matchups, Chelsea. I want to jump ahead to one of the big ones uh, on Sunday, the Cowboys at the Dolphins. And you mentioned the Bills and getting hot at the right time. They demolished the Cowboys a week ago. But the Dolphins demolished the Jets as well. This is right now a one-and-a-half-point line, one-and-a-half-point spread uh, in favor of the Dolphins. Are you concerned at all about what you saw out of the Cowboys a week ago, and do you think there is a chance they can bounce back against the Jets and be able to cover this? Well, here's the stat that you need to know about the Cowboys. In this situation, the Cowboys 12-1 and against the spread, coming off a loss since 2020. That feels like a pretty impressive metric. And I'm not sure why this is. Maybe because it's such a publicly talked about team that when the Cowboys lose, it feels like the sky is falling, you know, and the narrative changes, you know, drastically. But still, the Cowboys have been good in this spot. When they're coming off a loss, they are very good at regrouping. And that's not a small sample size. That's since 2020. So I do like the Cowboys here. The Dolphins kind of feel like they're falling apart at the seams. They have a ton of injuries on the offensive line, which I don't think bodes well going as Micah Parsons and company. So I kind of like the Cowboys there. It's not my best bet of the week, but if I had to pick a side, it would be the boys. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Buffalo, Josh Allen didn't even throw for 100 yards as Buffalo dismantles mm-hmm. them. We know Miami can run the ball. The Cowboys, but the Cowboys going in had the best run defense in football. So they've, they've definitely got a chip on their shoulder there. Anything else from the Christmas Eve slate, Chelsea, uh, that we need to know about before we look ahead to Christmas Day? Yeah, let me make sure the day's on some of these. Because, you know, you look at the slate and you're not sure what day some of these I, I, take, I, uh, place. Especially this but... one. Uh, some of my favorite bets of the week, so let's just go that. Okay, this game's on New Year's, or excuse me, Christmas Eve. I think this is a great buy-low spot on the Green Bay Packers this week. Laying four and a half on the road at the Panthers, who, yes, are coming off their second win this season against the Falcons. I think this is a great sell-high spot on the worst team in the league and a great buy-low spot on a Packers team that still is fully capable of beating bad teams by at least five points. So I think that's the 
the buy low spot on the Packers. Also, speaking of buy low, I think we're looking at that same situation with the Cardinals and Bears. I'll take the four points with the Cardinals uh, against the Bears. I don't think the Bears should be four-point favorites. They have been playing much better. Really liked them in a teaser last week. And, you know, the defense at least is playing with some motivation. But still, this is a feisty Cardinal squad that should have covered against the Texans when they had C.J. Stroud. So it's a team that not a lot of people are talking about. I'll take the four points with the Cardinals. Well, definitely, right, um, I just want to throw out there another game on uh, on Christmas Day that I know we're going to jump ahead and talk about. The game of the weekend, obviously, the Ravens and the Niners. Right now, the Ravens are five-point home, or no, the Niners are five-point home favorites on Christmas Day uh, in San Francisco. It's a big-time matchup. I, I know a lot of people are talking about this could be a Super Bowl preview. Your thoughts on this game? Do you think that the, the uh, Niners run away, or can the Ravens keep the Niners in check? Here's the the other stat that you're going to hear all week long, and that is Lamar Jackson facing teams in the NFC. He has been very good. 19-1 and one against the spread against teams in the NFC in his last 20 starts in that scenario. I'm not sure why this is, but he has been cash money against teams from the opposing conference. I know the Niners are head and shoulders above everybody in the NFC, so maybe it's a different animal. Uh, but still, I would lean towards the points here, and that's where the line is going. This line was five and a half earlier in the week. It's down to four and a half now at Ben and GM. So clearly we're seeing some money, money come in on the Ravens. And it also feels like a team that's been not talked about as much as you would think for a team that's an 11 and three squad that has a former MVP at quarterback. So it uh, feels like a Ravens team that is probably getting a little bit more points than maybe they need. I am not calling for an outright win here. But I do think that the Ravens can keep it somewhat close here. So I'll take the Ravens plus five if you can still get, a, get that five. Boy, that's an interesting one. All right, let's jump uh, to the Chiefs here. Raiders, the Chiefs finally sort of answer the call in a way. It's a 10-point line against the Raiders. They've already covered that number on the road this year. Do we overthink this one or do we simplify it and just say that the Chiefs are more than 10 points better than the Raiders? I don't have this trend in front of me, but doesn't it feel like the Chiefs in divisional matchups, with the exception of maybe the Chargers a couple of seasons ago, have been really good? Uh, I know yeah. they lost to the Broncos this season, but usually it's an absolute beatdown when they are facing the lesser teams within their division. So I would lean towards uh, laying the points with Kansas City, but I'm never feeling comfortable laying that big of a number. But still, in divisional matchups, Usually feels like the Chiefs beat the brakes of some of the worst teams in their division. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this might be a smash spot for the Chiefs. All right, you mentioned your best bets. What are some of your favorites this week that we haven't hit on? All right, so going back to Thursday night football tonight, we're going to go with Kyron Williams, the running back for the Rams, over 89 and a half rushing yards. It seems like a really high number. But you've got to remember, he has been crushing it for the Rams. Uh, in the last five games, he's averaging over 90 yards per game. And he's done this against some of the best run defenses in the NFL. He has done this against the Ravens and the Browns. And then you look at the Saints defense, who is decent, but still not great against the run. Middle of the pack. So Kyron Williams, I think he gets the ball uh, quite a bit tonight, especially if you believe in the game script that the Rams are going to be winning this game like this line reflects. He's had back-to-back -back games over the century mark, 
So let's do that. Uh, we'll go Kyron Williams over his rushing prop of 89 and a half. All right. Uh, I like it. I'm with you. I've got him on one of my fantasy playoff teams, so I appreciate the good karma there as well, as I know folks are trying to win a little money that way too. Chelsea, we appreciate it. Have a Merry Christmas. Uh, I th- we'll talk to you before the New Year, so we'll wish you a Happy New Year at that point. But Merry Christmas. We appreciate it. Always appreciate the insight to help us try to make a little money. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was the host of The Daily Tip and the Odyssey Sports Betting Insider, Chelsea Messenger. Insider calls presented by BetMGM. Go check out all the latest lines today on the BetMGM app. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, A very interesting matchup tonight. We can get into that throughout the show. We'll have a uh, Wichita State, K-State look-ahead preview. All kinds of good stuff. Our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald, joining us uh, a little bit later at the top of the hour. We'll come back. More Sports Daily coming at you right after this. This is Sports Daily on KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Sports Daily. We appreciate the segment there with Chelsea Messenger. Lots of good betting tips in there with Chelsea. Uh, You can go back and listen if you uh, missed any of it. We podcast the show out, uh, and a lot of people listen to us that way. So if you want to do that, you can just go to the Odyssey app. Uh, You can go to kfhradio.com. Jad does a great job. He gets that done uh, so that you can podcast us out if you would like to. And if you're listening to us in that format, we appreciate it. Thank you. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster here uh, with Sports Daily. We'll have Tim Fitzgerald coming at the top of the hour. Um, Tommy, do you have any fantasy football teams still alive and oh. in the mix here? And what is most people's semifinals this week? It's been a really bad year, honestly, for fantasy football for me. I'm in four, I think, leagues, and I might actually only be alive where it actually matters in one of them. The other ones, I either miss the playoffs entirely or I'm in that really sad consolation bracket, which is never any fun. Um, so it, it's been it's been a disappointing year. And I don't know why. I felt like I drafted really well at the beginning of the season in all of my leagues. I was really happy with my team uh, basically in every league I'm in, but it's not been good for me overall. I, um, I, I think this has probably been the most chaotic year that I can remember. In fantasy football, where more play, I, I think fantasy football is getting a little trickier because there are so many players now on offenses. We talked about this with the Chiefs to relate it back to that. Like, there's so many offenses that spread the ball around so much, it does make it a little bit harder to find those, you know, those true like impact guys. I think ever, and then all the injuries this year have just been absurd. Like, it, just at quarterback alone. Like, I'm sitting here trying to decide, you know, do do I drop Kyler Murray and pick up Jake Browning because, you know, I've had Herbert get hurt and Cousins get hurt, and just like these quarterbacks dropping like flies. I've had Joe Flacco. St- like, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, but good luck to everybody if you're still alive in your fantasy football playoffs, which, again, for most people are into the semifinals now. I've actually had a really good year in fantasy, uh, despite all of that, which is... I've I've been pretty up or down the last couple of years, so it, it's been a little bit of a rebound uh, in that sense. Um, 
good luck. I, I, I'm rooting for everybody. You'll have impactful fantasy players going tonight. I would imagine there's a lot of Alvin Kamara, a lot of Kyron Williams, probably some Matt Stafford, and certainly the Ram receivers uh, that are all over fantasy playoff rosters tonight. So here's to a high-scoring, high-entertaining game. Uh, Al Michaels finally gets a good one. I actually, I am excited about this game tonight. I think it's going to be interesting. I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't say that I'm super excited from the Rams standpoint. But man, I, I mean, sorry, from the Saints standpoint. But I am for the Rams, and I guess for the Saints, it's Derek Carr. Like Derek Carr is. Not as good as Alex Smith to me, but but maybe catches strays like Alex Smith used to catch. Like I, I think that he's probably better than he deserves as far as his overwhelming criticism. He's been better than that. But like he he gets attacked probably more than any quarterback in football, don't you think? Like people I, I feel like I he's, think Dak gets attacked. Quite a bit because of the team he plays on, but I think yeah, Derek Dak's Carr is better right there. than Carr though. D- Dak is better than the Carr. thing about so the thing about Carr is that over the course of his career, he's never really been clutch, right? Like he has good stats for the most part, yeah. typically has been, but he doesn't win. He, and and when when push comes to shove, he's probably not the guy that you want, right? With a game winning drive potentially on the line, that's not ever really been. Derek Carr, and I think that's where a lot of that criticism comes from. Now, I will say in his first season in New Orleans, the biggest issue, it's been the injuries. It's been the fact that, you know, he's banged up everywhere. Like, I I saw like a week ago or two weeks ago, he was on the injury report with like a head injury, a shoulder injury, a rib injury. Like, he had all these different injuries, and it's like, man, can he get protected at all? But like his quarterback rating this year is 92 and a half. He's got 16 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's already at 3,000 yards. He'll, you know, he could he could flirt with 4,000. It's going to be a typical Derek Carr year where you look at the end, and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. But as you're as you're like consuming the NFL, you'd think he was the worst quarterback in football because his teams typically just, don't win. That's the biggest issue. His team's seven and seven and in position to make the playoffs yeah, right they, now. They're not they're not like the team that you look at, and it never really was that way. When he was with the Raiders, either that you look at as this juggernaut team because of the great quarterback that he no, is. No, no, and and quite frankly, he's never been on that kind of team. Like he, they've never lost, you know, because of him. I don't think either. Maybe one year uh, with the Raiders where it looked like you thought they could contend. I don't know. We'll see. I, I root for him. I think he's such an interesting dude with such a great outlook on things. Uh, so I, I do find myself rooting for him. Uh, but not tonight. I want to see the Rams win. I, I'm in. I'm in on the Rams, and I don't know why. I don't have any love loss for. I don't care about the Rams, but I kind of like this team. Eight six nine twelve forty. Tim Fitzgerald. As we begin to look ahead at the Big K State Wichita State game tonight, we'll do it next on Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the insight of what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. 
All right, we welcome in Tim Fitzgerald to help us get things going in the first hour. GoPowerCat.com publisher. You can find him on social media, Life of Fitz. Uh, Fitz, I made this joke as you put out there on our show announcement this morning that it's a doubleheader for you. You're going to oncology and then the basketball game. And I, I yeah. hope that and I hope that, that oncology appointment is worse and that this game delivers the hype. I think there's a lot of hype here. And we should get a great game, right? Well, you know, Kansas State's turned into a box of chocolates. Uh, you, That's true. You don't so, know so is Wichita State. And you got the, you got the crappy one the other night against Nebraska. That that flavor that you bite into and you're like ah. And uh, I'll take an oncology visit over that any day. I was afraid of, but we won't get that. We're going we're to get a good game, Fitz. We're going to get a good nope. game. I, we got to start where we, where we, I, I guess, unintentionally probably stirred the hornet's nest a bit last week um, with your assessment on uh, the the real danger involved with Jerome Tank's future. You have since had a chance to talk with him. He was available between now and then. Yeah. Anything else that you know that you're gathering that would back you off of? you know, a 95% chance that he would be gone at the end of the season? Is that number lessened based on what you've heard, or what's the latest there? Um, it's probably lessened, but it's also hard to read right now because uh, he is attempting to move on and, and worry about his team, you know, worry about what he has in front of him instead of, uh, you know, that fight for now. And uh, I think everyone in athletics was exhausted by it, uh, and they're kind of ready to move on. I am too. I'm, I was look. I, I cover sports. I want to cover sports, and, and that was a uh, that's that's still an ugly story, and there's a lot more to it. But um, uh, yeah, I've just I I was just dismayed at the reaction of some people. To be honest, that I stated as a fact that he was leaving, and I'm like, I never came close to that, but. I do think the chances are still greatly in favor of his departure, uh, in part because uh, I know what Louisville's going to do. They're going to come after him. They're going to fire Kenny Payne here uh, at any moment. You know, he's not making it to the end of the season. And at that time, I'm sure Louisville will be up in the ear of Jerome Tang's agent. Um, and so that that's one to be concerned about. And that's, you know, that's probably true whether you had that situation or not. But, um, I, I've heard rumors are going to throw so much money at him. It, he's got to be really in love with Kansas State to stay. So we'll see how it all plays out. But I'm glad I get a return to covering basketball uh, tonight. Yeah, what the hell happened against Nebraska, Fitz? Um, I, we had talked a week ago about the resilience of this team, playing multiple overtime games, then really with relative ease, I would say, dispatching LSU and then they had basically an entire week to rest and regroup and get ready for this game against Nebraska at home inside Bramlage. They led at halftime, but they only scored 12 points in the second half, got out-rebounded. Is this a game that you just kind of wad up and throw in the trash can and try to move on from? Or are there some legitimate concerns here moving forward? Well, the rebounding was a concern. Like, some nights you don't shoot the ball well. That's just the reality of basketball at any level. Sometimes you make them and sometimes you don't. The whole team didn't. I mean, 12 points in the second half, and that included their final three being free throws. They, they didn't hit a field goal in the final five. 
Um, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was getting outworked and out-rebounded and out-hustled by Nebraska. Uh, they came out in the second half with an effective game plan, hitting the offensive boards and executed it, and I didn't see K-State respond. Um, they, they let their shooting affect everything else in their game, which you can't do. Um, and as Jerome Tang said, I think it was just one of those nights where we weren't going to win. And, and you know, the, what's amazing is Nebraska played extremely hard. Um, they rebounded well, but I don't think Nebraska played that well. So, I mean, to you know, lose double digits to that team, you know, when they're not even playing well, says how miserable you were. It was dreadful. I mean, I've never really seen anything like it. It was just pathetic shooting, but then just getting beaten to death on the offensive boards. Nebraska's offensive boards was painful to watch because those are that's effort. That's not that's not the the fortune of making a shot. That's just pure effort, and they, they didn't get it done. Uh, so, w- when you look at the Jekyll and Hyde nature of it, though, like what what do you point to? Like what is correctable? I was very surprised to see this line fall in at five and a half points. I thought it would probably be a little bit bigger. I don't know what to make of that. Um, it, it's an you know is is what went wrong against Nebraska immediately correctable and an and an outlier, or is it a symptom of a larger problem? Do you think? Uh, don't know. I mean, if if they perpetuate some of these issues against Wichita State, they've got Chicago State coming up. Uh, in early January before Big 12 play, guys are running out of time. I mean, they're going to be in the Big 12 here pretty soon fighting for their lives uh, if they don't discover their identity. And that's really what it's about. They're they're a collection of of pieces here, uh, and they don't have a Marquise Noel right now that sews everything together, a true point guard. This will be the last game they play without Quez Glover, one of their transfers who injured his knee in the exhibition game. He'll be back here after the start of the year. They they hope he helps kind of sew things together. But, you know, Tyler Perry's an outstanding guard, but he's never really been a point guard. And now he's being asked to do it, and it kind of looks like it at times. And uh, this team just is really kind of searching for who it is right now and if they can uh, alter their course. And I think tonight's game is a huge answer to that. Do you have concerns long-term about – the shooting from this team, especially long-distance shooting. You know, this season, Kansas State shooting about 30% from three. And like you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, they, they didn't shoot the ball well against Nebraska. Do you think that that's, a, you know, just kind of a one-night thing when they didn't, you know, shoot the ball particularly well? Or are there some legitimate concerns with their long-range shooting? Well, here's the disconnect. Tyler Perry has proven himself at the Division One level to be a really good shooter, and he's not. Um, Arthur Columas, you know, had a three, four-game tear there for three-point range in which he was brilliant, and he wasn't. Cam Carter was tearing it up in practice to the point where Coach Tang said, you know, I think we've got a really good shooting team based on all of this, and, and he didn't shoot the ball well. So um, it's better not be a, a situation of bright lights scaring this team um, because – that's all you're going to get in the Big 12. And you're going to get that tonight in T-Mobile in a big crowd. I hear it's uh, one of the bigger crowds for one of these Wildcat Classics. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this team proceeds. And I, I think, you know, have, now knowing they don't have Naquan Tomlin, uh, I thought at LSU 
kind of showed that we were moving on, but boy, they look like a team looking for Naquan to come help them against Nebraska, and he's not coming to help. He's in Memphis now. Well, let's talk about that part of this matchup, too. So Wichita State is, and I don't know how much time you've had to pay attention to Wichita State, probably not a ton, but they have been in a stretch here, and they had, look, they had a really exciting win over Southern Illinois, but the reality is we probably all thought it should be a little bit bigger. They have run into a stretch now on their end where the bigs aren't providing much offense, and if you looked at this matchup on paper, at least my amateur I looked at this matchup on paper, I would tell you that Wichita State has an opportunity to have a big advantage down low here with their two bigs uh, going up against K-State's bigs, but they haven't been there offensively. Can K-State, let's assume that Let's assume that those two, Kenny Poto and, and Quincy Ballard, can provide some offense like we've seen at other times this year. How have K-State's bigs been defensively this year, and is that a potential problem for K-State? They've been good. They, they had problems with Nebraska's big because he was more of a traditional, um, you know, high-skill, wide-shouldered, you, you're not going to move him. Uh, he's going to, you know, take that 10, 15-foot jumper. He's going to score around the basket. He's going to rebound. They couldn't move him. So, Will McNair couldn't get around him offensively, defensively. That wasn't really the problem. It was once the board, the ball went up off the board, then they couldn't contain him because he would just muscle his way to the ball. Um, so that is interesting. They brought in McNair to try to slow some of that, and we'll see if he's effective tonight. Um, and, you know, they can get maybe a little bit better play from David Gasson, who has really hit a, a stretch of poor play uh, that we didn't see last year, and he's got to get through it. This is a question, Fitz, that uh, is not about the game at all but more about the relationship between Jerome Tang and Paul Mills. It's been a lot of fun to read about their friendship that dates back decades and their families are friends and all of that. And, you know, of course, spent a ton of time together on the Baylor bench. And now they're both leading their own programs and they're facing off against each other tonight. Uh, What do you know about their relationship and and what is it going to be? What is it going to mean, do you think, for Jerome Tang to face off against his good friend Paul Mills tonight? Yeah, I imagine it'll be a lot like when he plays Scott Drew. A little bit uncomfortable, you know, a little uh, little brotherly love, but it's hard to beat him like that. Um, yeah, first of all, brilliant hire by Wichita State. I mean, I, uh, I, I think the world of this coaching tree, what's being you know, developed by Scott Drew, is uh, these are really good basketball coaches. And, uh, they seem to understand the construction of a locker room and, and all the things that really – goes together with, you know, winning basketball games. It's not about the X's and O's of the athletes. There's, there's a lot of mental uh, nourishment there that has to take place. And I see Drew do, and I see Tang do, uh, and I, I've seen a lot of other coaches do that. So I'm excited to see how this unfolds tonight with these two coaches meeting. Uh, let's let's talk a little football here, Fitz. So the transfer portal – well, let me ask you this, actually, as a quick aside, because we haven't seen – the official announcement, only the reports. From what you know, like Will Howard's headed to USC, right? That's happening? I think so, but again, um, you know, the, the lack of official reports is, is interesting. It's just been a lot of uh, people trying to beat the rush, you know, that they think it's going to happen, so they'll claim they have a source. But nothing credible so far. 
Um, I think that's where it ended up. Maybe there's a layer of recruiting in here we don't know about. Maybe they want to get um, a quarterback signed because their Avery Johnson hit the portal. Uh, that that kid went running when they when he heard that they were going to bring in a veteran quarterback. Uh, so now they've got the shortage in their locker room, in their quarterback room. So maybe they're trying to find someone and they don't want to scare them off. I don't know. There's a, the coaches. Excuse me. The coaches are going through a huge balance here with attempting to you know build their roster, but not bring people in with from the portal that are going to scare off players on their roster. And it, it's just a it, it's a Rubik's cube with no solution right now for coaches. But every time they seem to move apart, something else gets out of whack. So. Now, I think he'll end up there. It's an interesting landing spot. Uh, but, you know, he'll play Penn State, and which is, you know, being from Pennsylvania is probably pretty cool. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting, too, what Lincoln Riley could do with Will Howard. We're uh, exactly a week away from the Wildcats Bowl game, the Pop-Tarts Bowl, NC State, next Thursday. What do preparations look like right now a week out and knowing that in between now and the game we've got – Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. What does that look like for the Wildcats? Well, they'll be practicing through all of that. They leave the 23rd, um, which, guys, that's Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's incredible. that They had their staff Christmas party last night after signing day, and then they had 7 a.m. office call for early morning practice. Uh, so it's it's just a time of year for bowl teams that everything's overlapped with recruiting, the portal, coaches leaving, hiring coaches. And, oh, yeah, trying to get ready for that bowl game with scouting and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, we're, we're a week out from game day. I mean, it's essentially if, the, if you think of game week as Saturday's the game, it's Saturday. It's, it's prior game. So uh, tomorrow would be the, the natural time when they go into full preparation for the next opponent and it, it's speaking up pretty fast it's just crazy it's crazy what do you think of the bowl game I, I i know we ask this a lot is this is this a motivated team is k-state going to be one of the motivated teams here yeah. i assume that they are with the avery johnson you yep. know story out there but th- th- there's very little chance that this is one of those dud games right like we expect a big game from them yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. You're going to get what you get with young players. You're going to get a lot of effort and mistakes. And, you know, Chris Kleiman told me yesterday on our uh, recruiting show we did live on YouTube that, you know, he's excited and a little bit um, nervous about what he'll see. Uh, but he's really concerned about how these guys prepare for the game. That'll be an indicator to him how they're going to do next season. These guys are all business and understand the preparation has to take daily steps to get you ready for the game day, and they handle that. I think he's going to be pleased no matter what happens, unless it's just horrific. Uh, but the good news for Avery is he's got some key offensive weapons still with him, um, but he's got his offensive line. He's got that that crew, that veteran group that's been together so long that protect him, at least in this game, and uh, I, I think they're going to be okay. Um, We'll find out. NC State's had some transfer portal issues, and and uh, everyone goes through it right now. So it's, these games are kind of like sh- shuffling a deck of cards. You don't know what cards you're going to get on top. 
Uh, all right, Fitz. Uh, well, digest this. Brett McMurphy uh, reporting here in the last 15 minutes, probably while you've been on the road, that Florida State is starting the process of leaving the ACC, not really talking about it, that it will be a massive uh, change. McMurphy describes it as an Oppenheimer-like ripple effect through college. Uh, you know, Big Ten or the SEC would be preferred. Yeah. The Big 12 could be an option, it says. What a grab for the Big 12 it would be, and maybe this is the thing. Uh, that that it's that final chapter of realignment headed in the right direction, uh, and if it is, it's it's nobody's fault except for the CFP for leaving them out of the playoff. But digest that a little bit while you're sitting in oncology. Hang in there. We're always thinking yeah. about you in that world, in that realm, and uh, you know, get through that and enjoy a fantastic basketball game tonight. Um, do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, real quick, anything like GoPowerCat.com we need to know about for folks out there right now. Man, we've got up on our YouTube channel, Go Power Cat. You, you can find our live we did. We had the exclusive Chris Lyman interview, and then my guys dug into the class quite a bit. We've got all of our typical coverage, but today everything on the side is ramping up for this hoops game, and we're at 60% off through the bowl game. So if you're interested in Go Power Cat, perfect time to sign up. And I'll say this about Florida State. Florida State, Clemson, um, you know, maybe Virginia Tech, who am I forgetting, Miami. This is the Big 12's final opportunity to try to close the football gap. And if one guy can pull it off, it's Brett Yormark. I certainly don't expect it to happen, but he's been working on it uh, to try to bring in some really elevated brands of football and close that gap with those other two conferences. Hey, Fitz, want to jump in real quick. Uh, thinking about you, man. Hope everything goes well today uh, at your appointment. Yeah, all routine, all routine. Hopefully she'll say, still no signs of active cancer. Uh, leave my office, you're ugly. That's the best <laughs> outcome I want. That's, a, that's not bad. That's not bad. All right, Fitz, uh, drive safe. Good luck. We'll look for your reporting tonight on the game, Wichita State, K-State, from the K-State perspective. Uh, we will talk again next week. Thanks, boys. Great talk to you. There goes Tim Fitzgerald. Uh, GoPowerCat.com publisher. You can find him on social media at Life of Fitz. Always good stuff there. Interesting stuff. Fitz takes the interesting approach, which is, in my opinion, all we can ask for in these things. Okay. We just mentioned it. Uh, Brett McMurphy with, and he's not the only one. It's been floating around there this morning. His is a little bit more specific on this Florida State story. Uh, So we'll get into that, as it certainly could impact the Big 12 and certainly would and will when it inevitably happens, affect college sports in totality. We'll hit it next on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here. Uh, so, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you. Let's Before we get into this Florida State story, let's let's do our giveaway right now. Everybody on your toes. On your toes. 869-1240. We'll give away some HTO Brewhouse coffee. Hot iced coffee, espresso, specialty drinks, all your favorites. The milk options, the you know non-dairy options. It's all there for you. Check it out. Go inside. We'll give you two free Brewhouse coffees. Those will be good for either the East Wichita HTO location or the HTO location in Derby. You can get those two uh, free Brewhouse coffees right now by calling us on the IHOP hotline, 869-1240. Santa Jad will get you taken care of. All right, Tommy, uh, lots of reports out now that Florida State, and we knew this, there's been smoke with Florida State even before this season. Uh, Certainly more smoke and fire since Florida State was 
shamefully snubbed from the CFP despite an unbeaten season and, you know, a lot of different metrics that would tell you they deserve to be there. But they're not, and they're mad, and they're angry, and you know if they were, or they weren't already looking for a way out, which we know that they were. They certainly are now because what's the point, honestly? Like, what's the point of being in the ACC if you can go unbeaten there and not make the playoff? And I know the playoffs expanding, and this is a this year problem only. But it looks like they're going to get this done, and it will probably shake things up. And they've been looking for a way to do this for a long time, anyway. So the question really does become, and it always has been this question, when the ACC inevitably loses some teams, are they SEC teams? Are they Big Ten teams? Are they potentially Big 12 teams? Or is the ACC able to do something on its own to maybe grab other teams? So the the shakeup is going to come. We don't know in what capacity. This is... You know, Florida State leading the charge, and I think they'll ultimately get this done. I I wish I understood the timeline a little bit better. You know, there was a point where, and I I talked to Dennis Dodd about this on CBS Sports Radio, probably. It it, it must have been, it had to have been early, early in the season. And he didn't think at that time that Florida State brought enough to the SEC specifically because they have such a presence in Florida anyway. He pointed, you know, maybe to areas where they don't like North Carolina or uh, Virginia perhaps, like trying to reach footprints they don't already have. I would imagine uh, that that will have changed now because of Florida State's season they just had and the fact that they are bringing in, uh, I think, a top five recruiting class this year. So their brand has expanded in the last, you know, six months, certainly. So it it really does become a question of, does the SEC want them? Because I think that's always going to be option one. The Big Ten should want them. They they absolutely would be good for the Big Ten, but I don't, you know, who knows? And, and, I mean, for the Big 12, it would be the coup of the century to to get some of these high-profile ACC teams. I think probably, if I had a guess, Tommy, and this is a guess, obviously we're not talking to people in the ACC, I would guess that the top-end teams, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, probably Virginia, uh, Miami, end up in the SEC or the Big Ten. And then it's those other schools where the Big 12 could swoop in. Does that really you know, strengthen the football brand? I don't know. It certainly strengthens the basketball brand, uh, which, is a, which is a win also. But it is strengthened numbers a little bit. Do you think the Big 12 has any chance to get any of these premier programs? Probably not. Probably not at the top end. Uh, now, uh, backing up what Fitz said, if anybody could get something done, it's Brett Yormark. We've watched him be a wizard over the last couple of, uh, couple of years with conference realignment. But I don't think the top-tier teams are realistic to think about coming over from the ACC to the Big 12. I think I kind of back up your thoughts on this. Once the top tier four or five teams find a new home, whether it's the SEC or the Big Ten, it wouldn't shock me if the ACC for self-preservation does what the the Pac-12 wouldn't do. And they try to figure out a way to stay viable. And that might be a merger with the Big 12. And then at that point, you're looking at teams like Pitt and NC State and, you know, some other schools that are in that, you know, maybe in the mid-tier to low-tier ACC schools. And then you've got some regional matchups like West Virginia is already in the Big 12, and then it makes sense and they can play Pitt, you know, and it'll be a conference game. Like there are some some logistical, geographical matchups that make some sense. I'm going to go a little bit of a step further here, I think. 
you mention the top tier schools going to either the SEC or the Big Ten, I think they go to the SEC. I know that at one point it didn't really maybe make a whole lot of sense because of their presence. But at this point, like the, the SEC, like the rich can the rich can just get richer. And I think that that's something that Greg Sinke is going to be looking at. I mean, think about all of a sudden you've got matchups that are conference matchups between Florida State and Georgia, Florida State and Alabama, Miami and Georgia, like just different matchups like that regionally that would beat Clemson and, you know, Georgia. Like that becomes a conference matchup. That would be I think that would be a lot of fun. And especially when you look at the networks involved ESPN is getting ready to look at, or they're getting ready to start their SEC coverage. They would love to have a matchup like Clemson and Georgia that's a conference game, right? You know, and so I think that that's really where it's going to be the driving factor. I know that maybe it didn't make logistical sense a few months ago. I think it definitely does now for the SEC. Well, so I, I wonder, like the one thing that I would wonder aloud about is the availability to get in in the big 12 could possibly be easier than the others because of the way that tv contract was built right and that you know i think they can be added at full money you know just the way that contract was designed and i don't know that the others have that flexibility so it could be just an ease of the process as much as anything else and when we talk about rivalries we act like with college sports rivalries, new ones can't be created. But just think about how crazy that sounds, right? Like, are are the Chiefs and Bills not a rivalry now? That's never been a rivalry before. But it's the rivalry we probably most look forward to. And we don't really care about, you know, Chiefs, Raiders right now. Because, you know, like sometimes rivalries are just brewed with, with success in the in the high stakes of, of games. And so, yeah, if Florida State and Georgia are going to stay awesome, then they're, that's going to become a rivalry game. If Florida State and, you know, Kansas or Kansas State were consistently at the top of a Big 12 like that, they'd become rivals. That's just the way that works. So I, I think we overlook that, too. And just let what we've seen over the past few years be our guiding force on that this change is okay for our – just from like our enjoyment's sake. We're going to still enjoy this, right? We're going to still love this. We pretended like the transfer portal was going to ruin the sport. I don't think it hurt your viewing experience at all this past season. We've pretended like realignment's going to hurt the sport. I would imagine that next year's conference in the Big 12 will be as fun or more than any we've ever had in the Big 12. So, like, it's all going to be okay, and I, I feel like we should just embrace this, and I hope that the Big 12 can be a player in whatever this... Again, I think it's the final phase of this, and it, it's always involved the ACC, and it's probably coming quicker than, you know, maybe it would have. I just hope the Big 12 can get in on that action somehow. And I don't even really care what it is. I mean, I would prefer that it's the top ends, but just in some capacity, because the optics of that are strong, right? The optics of the Big 12 being a power player in realignment are important, I think, for the future of the league. The one thing that we know about Brett Yormark is that he's aggressive. He's not going to sit on the sidelines and sit on his hands and not do anything. And even if it doesn't ultimately come to pass that anything happens with the Big 12, 
you better believe he's going to try to be a player in this. And, and we may not know. I mean, they may end up, all, you know, the ACC may figure out a way to stay relevant or go a different direction, whatever. Maybe it's only the SEC and the Big Ten that reap the benefits of what ends up happening with the ACC. But you better believe your mark is going to be involved. He's going to try, and he's going to be aggressive. That's one thing we know about this guy. And really, you know, he believes, number one, I think he continues to believe that the Big 12 is undervalued. But on top of that, if it hadn't been for his aggressiveness, there would not be a Big 12. And I think he understands that. And I think that he knows that even though he probably feels pretty good about where the Big 12 is now compared to where it was a couple of years ago, that doesn't mean you just stop. It doesn't mean that you just give up and you're like, hey, we're good, we're done, we're not doing anything else. I think you've always got to explore whatever kind of scenario that is. And yeah, if I'm your mark, I'm going to shoot big. I'm going to go try to pitch Florida State. I'm going to go say, look, like... Oh, absolutely. I think he's been pitching Florida State for a long time already anyway. Here's what we can do for you, and, you know, let's bring Miami in, and let's bring Clemson in, and let's bring North Carolina in, and whatever, you know, some of those other top-tier schools in the conference. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But, again, the one thing we know about your mark is that he is not afraid to go out there and be bold and try to find these solutions. Yeah, I, I, I th- that stuff has been happening, right? Like, there's no question it's been happening. Of course it's been happening. He's been having these conversations. There is a basketball component to it all, I think. I think the chances are low that the big-tier guys come over to the Big 12, and I think that's okay. I think you just need to, you know, there is a place for everybody else that is very similar to what the Big 12 is currently going to look like. And I hope that. And again, scheduling, like all that stuff's easy. Now you have East-West, or you have three divisions, East-West-Central, like whatever you need to do. It's all— Hell, you could go Northwest, East-South. You could go four different divisions if you, you wanted could, to do that. You could, and then have a semifinal, have your own conference yep. semifinal, and, and it would be incredible, and it would be better for the networks, and it would be like a CFP before the CFP. Yep. Like, it'll be fine. Here's the other it, thing to keep in mind about that, stuff. that I want to mention is that, well, the other thing about your mark is that while he is aggressive, he's not reckless. He's not just going to add a bunch of schools just for the sake of adding a bunch of schools. Remember, Oregon State and Washington State are still out there. Right, they they're still in the quote unquote Pac-12. There well, was a lot of play basketball. It sounds in the Mountain like in the WCC yeah, or, or WCC. I think it's, yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah. So I, it, he could have very easily been like, "All right, I guess you guys can come over too." You know, so we can add a couple of schools. If there are ACC schools that he doesn't feel like are of value to them, then he's not going to add them. So maybe well, unless they stand in solidarity right. together, but which it, they could, you know. But in, unless they're, I don't know. I could see a scenario where the top tier ACC schools go somewhere else and your mark took a shot with them and was aggressive and, and it didn't play out. And then he goes, yeah, we're not really interested in the lower tier schools. I don't know. That could, that could happen too, because he kind of did the same thing with Oregon state and Washington state with the PAC 12. I think that's the wrong play. If that is the, if that is, you know, out there and on the table, um, I, I don't think that would be smart. Because I do think that you don't want the ACC to then become bigger and better, right? That that would be not good. So, and just to like put into perspective, so if Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, um, are 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 a part of that, I, I think people 
general, and I don't know, again, I don't know enough about the history there, but I think people generally consider Virginia in that group and, and Miami probably. Outside of that, you still have Louisville sitting there, which has to me always been a, a Big 12 type school. Um, NC State, Georgia Tech, which has a huge academic component to them, Virginia Tech, Duke, are you kidding me? Uh, Boston College, not that interesting. Syracuse certainly is. Pittsburgh certainly is. And Wake Forest is. I think Louisville is too. I think Louisville is an interesting school. Louisville is where I started. No, Louisville would be the. Louisville to me has always made sense. They feel like a Big 12. Always have felt like a Big 12 school to me. Um, But, you know, so you've, you've got all of that in play too. I think there's plenty of value in adding those teams. I think it lets you have way too attractive of a television package not to end up in the conversations that you need to be in if you go that route. And so I do think there's strength in numbers. Um, By the way, a couple in there. What do you think? I mean, I don't know how attractive Wake Forest is. What do you think happens potentially to these other schools that have announced that they're joining the ACC? SMU, Stanford, Cal. Like those are schools that have announced to join that conference, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I guess they become available again. Look, I I do think there's a chance that the ACC gets aggressive just like the Big 12 did, right? If those if those schools leave and you're the ACC trying to be aggressive, the first thing you do is you call probably the American and you call some of these other leagues and you try to get big. And that and that worked for the Big 12. It did. Um, and and maybe there's an appetite for that. And I and then you have four power leagues because let's be real. An ACC minus its top tier teams plus, you know, the best of the American or whatever it is, looks an awful lot like the Big Twelve. I would still say the Big Twelve is better, but not by a not by a just like some massive margin. I mean, certainly the additions of the Pac twelve schools help, but if we're just being honest about the situation, there could be room for four of these leagues, and the ACC being the fourth, just in a different look than it currently has. I, I think what's what's apparent is. Florida State doesn't fit, right? Florida State is probably, and it's not to the level of like Texas and Oklahoma. And that's where I think people have struggled with Florida State and where they would fit because they're not Texas or Oklahoma. And that's what the SEC wanted. But are they Washington and Oregon, which is ultimately what the Big Ten took on? Probably so. Probably. I think, you know, I would venture to guess that Oregon and Florida State are very comparable brands. Right. So we'll see. I don't think again, I think that if you're Florida State, the Big 12 is obviously your third choice. Right. Because there's more money to be had in the SEC and the Big Ten. That's math. Right. It it is what it is. And again, I think your mark knows that. I think he probably knows going into it. Hey, we're going to be their third choice. They're going to go SEC or Big Ten before they come to us. So let's try to find a way to move up in those standings. And I don't exactly know how he goes about it, but you better believe he's going to pitch it. Watch basketball. Because we don't know really where those conversations are with what could happen with basketball and how much value that brings, both on the men's and women's side, by the way. That could be some sort of X factor we don't really understand yet, uh, but who knows? I mean, that's something that he's certainly pitching. It's something he's certainly paying attention to, and I think it could be awesome and maybe a reason that you the Big 12 becomes close to as attractive as these other places because ultimately I think if you take that basketball brand and combine it with a lesser football deal those overall dollars are probably going to be close we'll see 869-1240 your thoughts on it we'll come back we'll give you maybe 
it's it's a it's an impossible task. We can try to predict K State Wichita State tonight to some degree, and uh, and certainly Thursday night football. Still plenty to come here on Sports Daily on a Thursday. Tommy just sent me uh, or sent out to the world, I guess, on social media a video. I get did Patrick Mahomes buy his entire offensive line golf carts. Yeah, and I want to know where my Christmas gift is from you. Um, I want to know when you line us up a golf cart uh, provider here on the program and we'll gladly accept golf cart NIL. I'm just saying, uh, don't you consider yourself the quarterback of this program and I'm kind of your offensive line? I just want to know where my golf cart is. I got a good arm. You're supposed uh, to buy hands, me a golf cart. That's the way that it works. My hands, my hands were my greatest football attribute. Uh, my size became my downfall in football. I was a pretty good football player until everybody outgrew me. Like when we were little, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was an asset. And then, and then as I've gotten older, I've turned, I guess, more into just an ass. But you know, it's <laughs> it's been, you know, you get outgrown. I, I laugh about one of my nephews is is short. And I, I, I think I'm probably average height, but I'm pretty scrawny. Right. And like, I remember growing up, everyone's like, Oh, you'll hit your growth spurt. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And it just never happened. Like everyone else just got a little bigger and I never did. You know, I was the fastest before uh, everybody else, you know, puberty came. Thanks a lot. Um, no, I, I, I don't know if I'm the quarterback or a wide receiver, uh, diva receiver, maybe, you know, are you, are you one of the chiefs receivers and you drop the ball pretty consistently? Is that what you're saying? No, my hands are not a problem. Okay. I have great hands. I will say that. Uh, I will say that. All right, let's 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 preview tonight's basketball game. Wichita State, K-State. We, we talked about it from a K-State perspective with Fitz. I, I've, you know, the, the, I don't know how else to look at it other than to say I think Wichita State can have an advantage if they get some offense out of their bigs. We haven't seen that in the last couple of games. I do think that's the path for Wichita State. I don't think, and again, this is very this is as unpredictable a basketball game as I can remember, but I don't think that the Shockers want to go blow for blow with the K-State guards as much as we've loved the job that Colby Rogers, Xavier Bell, Harvin, Harlan Beverly have done. I, I don't think that's the that's going to be at least the way this thing is designed out. I think if you're trying to find a shocker advantage, it would come through Kenny Poto, you know, offensively and then in totality between he and Ballard trying to shake things up down low. I think, I I, I mean, this is hard to, to get a grasp of. Look, I think that the shockers maybe do want to go up against the wildcat guards and force them into bad shots. You know what? We talked about it with Fitz. K-State has not shot the belt the ball well from long distance. They're like 301st in the nation in shooting threes. And so if you can challenge that and force Kansas State into bad shots from three, then I think that's going to be an advantage for Wichita State. Also, Wichita State is just a, a better rebounding team, I think, than Kansas State is. If they can win the rebounding battle, that was really the detriment of Kansas State against Nebraska last weekend. They did not rebound the ball well. So I don't necessarily know if you need to have a ton of offensive production in this particular game from Poto and Ballard. I think you just need them to rebound the ball well and win the rebounding battle against They've the Wildcats. They've done that all year. And then they, at that I mean, point, they, the, 
I think Wichita State's a good lose. rebounding team, so I think that that's good yeah, right, for yeah. them. And so if you can win that rebounding battle against a team that struggled recently in rebounding, yeah. that's going to that's gonna set up well for Wichita State. I like the Shockers in this game, honestly. I like Wichita State, uh, maybe even on the money line, to outright win. I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to give the nod to Wichita State. Yeah, I like that. I mean, a team that misses shots, you certainly want to rebound the ball well. So I like that. I think if you, you know, it's like if you're looking at it from betting, you know, it's five, do you want the five and a half points? Do you want the money line at plus 185? I kind of like I the think money line. Prob- I, 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 I typically do, but I think the points could be handy. These are two teams that are not adverse to playing close games, which is why the points might be attractive. But plus 185 is pretty dang good. And um, here's the other thing too to do- point out is that you know, and Fitz mentioned it. Right now, the Wildcats don't have a Marquise Noel type player. They can kind of tie it all together. Tyler Perry's the well, closest they, to that, I think. I mean, they think they do. They think right, they do, but, Tyler but, Perry, but Perry's not really there. performing at that level over the last couple of games. Uh, now, you know, I think it's if you get into a situation where you need a clutch shot, if you're Kansas State, you're obviously probably still going to Tyler Perry. Uh, but I, I just I think that. Knowing their struggles in shooting from deep and their struggles in rebounding, I'm going to give the advantage to Wichita State. I don't know who I give the advantage to. I really don't. Like, I I can't remember a basketball game that I've struggled to just, like, come up with some, like, some way to look at. I really don't know. I, I... Both teams are capable of shooting the three well. Wichita State has sort of just said, nope, we're not doing that. And 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 they are telling us that that's not what they want to do. I mean, Rogers can, but K K State, I think, kind of has to still try, right? I think K State needs to be a three point shooting team, and they're probably just going to shoot right through it. If they get hot, if K State shoots well, then I then I really like K State in this game. Well, look, but and, they and they've done that. They led Nebraska at halftime last weekend, and then they. Put, yeah. up a, put up a dud in the second half and only scored 12 points, you know. So, And we've seen that back and forth between the Wildcats. One half is pretty good usually, another half isn't. It's been difficult for them to string together a full 40 minutes of basketball. And and I think that, I, I look, I'm very bullish on the direction of the Shocker basketball program right now. However, I don't want to get overexcited about a one-point win at home against Southern Illinois either. So... I guess my question becomes, if K-State doesn't play that second half, what do you think this line is? Like, if they just don't have that dud second seven, half. Seven, maybe? Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's. I it would move a couple of points at least. So that, that also gives me pause, too. Um, I don't like the five and a half. So I guess if I had to take a line, I would probably take the five and a half, but I I would probably take K-State to win the game. We'll see. I love it. I'm excited for it. I really hope it delivers and is a fun game. 